it slowly dawned on me that that all these people that um, I had interviewed, you know, five, six, seven years ago, um, Jeff Lemire, yeah, yeah, um, uh, Jeffrey Brown, mm-hmm. um, there's a whole a whole bunch of other people, but <laughs> like they're, everybody's doing these mainstream books now. It's yeah. been really, it's been really interesting watch, watching that and. You know, it's, I always, I always kind of wonder, you know, the, the sort of the kind of like the, the punk rocker in me is always a little like, like, were you, was this your plan all along? Were you always hoping to sort of, to find your way and to get I mean, that line is blurry now, right? Yeah. That line between indie and, and mainstream or even what mainstream is. Yeah. It's really blurry now. Well, I mean, there's, there's very clearly two really big companies and you're working for one of yeah, them. But are they the mainstream now? Cause like, yeah. cause like Raina Teglemeyer, I mean, yeah. her, her well, books. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Her books outsell. That's right. Yeah, right. That's they totally, they, they outsell Superman and Batman yeah. by a, a wide margin. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, has Superman always been kind of on the radar for you as something that you've wanted to work on? Well, I, I grew up reading superhero comics. Yeah. I started reading uh, superhero comics in the fifth grade, and uh, and fittingly or ironically, my the very first comic book that my mom bought me was a, a, a comic book with Superman in it. It was like a DC Comics Presents. I think it was number 88. It was Superman and the Atomic Knights. Well, if you're going to get a you know first comic for a kid, I think Superman is probably a pretty way, good way to go. Yeah, right? I mean, I think that's what my mom yeah. was thinking. Because <laughs> that wasn't the comic that I wanted. Yeah. You know, I had asked her, her to buy me this comic with uh, Rom the Space Knight yeah, yeah, in it yeah. and, and the thing who I thought yeah. were much cooler but she sure. wanted to buy me a Superman comic yeah. instead and, and, and to be honest I wasn't really a Superman fan like I very quickly uh, became uh, a Marvelite I would, I would read mostly Marvel comics yeah. um, throughout uh, high school it was, I, I read a ton of Marvel comics I read a little bit of DC too but mostly Marvel uh, so I've always wanted to tell a superhero story um, but in terms of actually writing Superman himself, I, I don't know if... Like, when I was offered the opportunity to do it by yeah. DC, I felt like... I felt super intimidated. <laughs> you know, I still feel intimidated. Sure. I feel really intimidated. Sure. Not, he's not just any superhero. No, he's, he's the He's superhero. the superhero. Yeah. He's the one that kicked yeah. off the whole genre, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And he's been around... At, like, literally, he's been around the longest out of all the superhero yeah. Yeah, he's uh, the characters. Superhero. Yeah, so... And he's gone through multiple phases, so yeah. all of that just made him really intimidating. So, but at the same time, you can't say no when you get offered the opportunity to write Superman. You got to say yes. What was that? I'm curious about the conversation because you know you 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 had done. I mean, if you were in and for the first second, beautiful offices, and um, you know you've done you had done some books with them. Um, you know, some pretty high profile books. But you know, why did DC? Why were you the guy? Why were you the guy they approached to? Well, I was not part of that original conversation. It was between my agent and uh, some folks at DC Comics. Uh, I've I've actually um, talked with them a couple of times about other projects, but it's never really come to fruition for a variety of reasons. So... um, you know, they like like DC's on everybody's radar, right? If you're in if you're in comics, they're yeah. on your radar. Yeah, uh, I'm not totally sure why they asked me. I, I do think, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm super happy about it. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think it was it was kind of a, a fulfillment of a dream that I had when I was like 12. Yeah. <laughs> to write a major superhero, yeah. to write the superhero was yeah. I, I think was beyond me. I I don't I don't even know if I I thought about that. I, I just thought, 
Like I've always been attracted to the more obscure characters yeah. in in both the Marvel and DC universes. So to get to write the the the, the big one is it's interesting. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I always thought I always thought that would be kind of fun because you know if you look at what somebody like you know like Grant Morrison did with like Animal Man. Yeah, I mean yeah. in a way like you would assume that you get a little more creative license there. That when it's not somebody who I mean everybody everybody is has some sort of you know like Barack Obama ha- you know Barack Obama yeah, loves exactly. Superman like everybody's got some sort of investment there so you you would imagine that um if not easier that that at the very least you would have a little more leeway with a a, a more obscure superhero and it doesn't again it doesn't get less obscure I think that's Superman. probably true I think that's yeah. probably true I think um I think DC Comics is is uh, generally, uh, historically, has been fairly careful with Superman. Yeah. Kind of the way Mar- uh, 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 Disney is is careful with Mickey Mouse, sure, right? Sure. There's certain things that Mickey yeah, Mouse yeah, can yeah. no longer do because yeah. they're the corporate icon. I think DCs might be the same way with Superman. But I have to tell you, um, they when when I was brought on board, they did tell the Superman team, you know, all the writers of the four different Superman books, that they wanted some kind of a radical change. Yeah. And and the radical change that we we came up with was we had um, Clark get revealed yeah. his super who his superhero identity and his secret identity were revealed as yeah. to, to the world right uh, and and I think they were really daring to to allow us to do that and that that was a, a, an idea that DC came up with or that the no that team? was something that was something that we kind of collectively yeah. came up with yeah the, they the said mandate, we want something radical the mandate was do something yeah. radical yeah and that was our response. I at uh, at, at at San Diego I was I was um, talking to, to Mark Wade. You know they they were just launching the Archie series, and and he said something really interesting to me, and and I think that it's appropriate here that he had, um, you know, I asked him the question about working with iconic characters, and and he described Archie as kind of being you know like the the, the center of the wheel that everybody else is kind of a spoke off of him, and the, and the idea there is that like he, you know, in a sense like. Every single other character in Archie is kind of defined by their their differences from Archie. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and Superman feels like that to some degree. You know, at least like historically, or at least you know, people who are just kind of peripherally, um, you know, who who have peripheral knowledge of Superman, who you know, have seen the movies, maybe read a few comics, that he's, um, you know, he's just all American superhero. He's you know, and and. He, Personality-wise, you know, he—it he, he seems like he'd be a little harder to to work with from that standpoint. That he's just kind of like a great guy. He's saving the world, you know. <laughs> and 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 on some level, maybe that's not giving you a lot to work with. Well, I think I think in a lot of ways that's true. I, I think Superman might be the center of the wheel, not just for DC Comics, but for the genre yeah. in general, right? Every other superhero is in some way a response to Superman. Sure. And and they're defined by their differences from this character that established the genre. For me, I, I found my connection point into Superman in the fact that he's essentially an immigrant. He, he was created mm, by these mm. two children of immigrants. Yeah. Uh, all the the whole superhero genre, I think, was created by sons of Jewish sure. immigrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because of that, I think a, a lot of the immigrant experience is embedded into the conventions of the genre. Well, he, he is very literally the character, isn't he? Yeah, he, yeah the he's character the ultimate immigrant yeah, in the way that he's the ultimate superhero, yeah, right? He's absolutely the ultimate immigrant. Yeah. And, and, and this negotiation of identities that almost yeah. every superhero has to do, I think that's a, that's a daily reality for most children of immigrants. 
I, I think uh, when Siegel and Schuster were growing up, I guarantee yeah. you um, the culture that they lived in at home was different from the one they experienced at school. That, that's interesting. So, so, so the idea is there that sort of like let's bring that a little bit more to the front because it seems like something that's faded away. You know, this is in his in his in his past. He, he sort of realized it, but he's kind of moved on and is Superman now. But do you feel like your Superman is dealing a little bit more with well, being from another world? Yeah, in, in the first story arc, um, we uh, it, it was more about. Uh, Superman's like the the whole relationship between secrets and technology. Mm-hmm. I, I think we live in a, a society that um, where, where secrets are much harder to keep. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, than, than back in the day. So that was that was that was the driver for the first yeah. story arc. The second one, which we just started, um, we're hitting some of those immigrant notes a little bit harder. So mm. we have Superman out in uh, in California, in Oakland, actually. He joins uh, an underground wrestling league <laughs> <laughs> that's based on an actual underground really? wrestling league that's in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, and um, and it's a wrestling league that's made up of gods from non-European. Mythologies, Interesting. like mythologies yeah. that that most people in the modern world have forgotten. Yeah. They're not like the Greek gods. They're not like the Norse gods. These gods are largely forgotten. So they're actual gods from actual mythologies that we're bringing into the the DC universe. In in that way, I, I think um, I want to talk a little bit about Superman, not just as uh, 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 an, like an American god almost, but uh, uh, but Superman as in like a like a mythological representation of an immigrant. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess if you're going to be, you know, sort of the most iconic American hero, it makes sense that you're not from America originally. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. got, that that ultimately is is going to be a big part of that story. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think yeah. that's that that's my connection point. Yeah. That's my personal connection point into the character. Are, are um, I, how, how many how many months in advance are you when you're writing the the stories? The uh, we are so we are on the third story arc okay. right now. We just yeah we finished the second yeah. which is which is the one that's set in Oakland. Well, it's you know one. it's it's you know I'm, I, and I, I don't know how much current. It's funny that I say this as a siren is going by. I don't know how much current events play a role in um, your stories, but you know obviously like. Yeah, I mean, you know, immigration generally has been something we've been talking a lot about lately because Donald Trump is running for president. But then, you know, the events of I I don't know when this is going to go up, but, you know, the events of as of the recording this the past week, I mean, everybody's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Is that something ultimately that that you can see manifesting itself in these books? Yeah, I think it makes sense. I I, I think I generally. Um, draw ideas from my stories, not just Superman, but all of my stories from my life, my lived yeah. life, and because I'm living in this current society, the issues that the society struggles with sure. will end up in yeah. in the book. I, I really think that um, Superman has something to say about the immigrant experience and the place of the immigrant in yeah. the modern world. Yeah, and, and the, I mean the technology thing is interesting too, and it and it and it you know didn't I, I think quite occur to me until you said that, but. Um, you know, it certainly makes sense, and, and the way that she chooses to reveal his identity is the way that you would choose to reveal somebody's identity now. I don't know if she like tweets yeah, yeah. it or whatever, but she yeah. she like yeah, holds up right. her her phone. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean that must be something as as you're putting these stories together that that, that you're thinking about when you're trying to sort of uh, project these old superhero mythologies into the modern world. That um, it seems impossible. You know, obviously there's there's already the whole Superman glasses no glasses thing but it seems impossible that anybody would be able to retain a secret identity yeah 
in 2015. It does. Yeah. That absolutely is true. You know, it's a, it, like, I think it's always been hard, right? The, yeah. the whole glasses thing has always been, um, uh, like it's a, it's a lot to ask for suspension of disbelief, yeah. but, uh, there's an added layer now that yeah. we live in the age of yeah. Twitter. There's definitely an added layer. Uh, we, we were talking a little bit about the, about this being your, your, uh, about Superman having been, you know, the first comic that you read. And, uh, again, you come from, as far as your comics writing background, uh, writing a lot more, you know, kid friendly mm-hmm. books. And again, we're sitting in the first, second building. Um, and that's always been, uh, something I think like comics have struggled with over the past, you know, 20 years or so, um, a lot of DC's books specifically is is um, you know they're they're as we transition from the stereotype of like comics aren't just for kids anymore to are there any more comics for kids <laughs> um, you know is is that something that you grappled with early on about you know how not only who the audience is going to be but is this something that like little gene could pick up at some point could this be a could could this be a first comic for somebody could could you know a a 10 year old read this book yeah my i mean all all of most of dc's monthly titles are rated t for teen Mm -hmm. and and i think um when i'm writing uh superman i'm still working in the same young adult headspace that uh yeah that american born chinese is in or boxers and saints is in so i think the audience that would be able to read American More Chinese, I would hope they would also be able to read Superman. Yeah. That said, I do think DC is diversifying. You know, um, there's a Bizarro book that is super appropriate for everybody, but especially for younger readers. There's Gotham Academy, which is absolutely amazing. Also uh, appropriate for middle grade and up. Yeah. So I think DC is making strides in that direction. But, but I, I do think you're yeah. right. I think, I think, I, I really think, um, what we're seeing is not just a, a, a response to comics are only for kids, but also um, the legacy of like Watchmen, right? Watchmen yeah. and Dark Knight Dark, Returns. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, those, those those two books were so important that they cast yeah. long shadows, and the genre is still under those shadows. But 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 T for Teen doesn't mean that it's the Killing Joke. It doesn't mean that it's a Dark Knight. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily inappropriate for. Younger readers, yeah, yeah, I, and and I haven't seen the the latest surveys, but I know yeah. that for the past several years, most of the folks that are reading superhero books are are people in my demographic, yeah. right? Like like guys in their thirties yeah. and forties. But that's not to say that people aren't reading com- or, sure. or kids are reading comics. Sure, I, it's the same with video games. I mean, what's the average age of a of a, of a gamer at this point? It's like thirty four or yeah, something yeah. like that. It's kind yeah, of it's interesting. It, it is. I don't know what I don't know what kids are reading these days. Yeah, well, well, Reina, right? Well, yeah. No, no I, I think yeah. I think kids in general are reading more comics than they ever have yeah. before. But they're just not reading superhero comics for yeah. the most part. Yeah. They're just not reading superhero comics. They're reading Reina Teglemeyer. They're yeah. reading Amulet. They're reading Zeta the Space yeah. Girl. Um, how how conscious of you? You know, obviously there were these 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 concerns early on about uh, working with a character that so many people are are invested in. Once that's actually out in the world. Um, do you, do you monitor feedback at all? Do you read the, the crazy reactions people have online? Um, I, I do some, not yeah. a lot. Like I, I've had to learn to back away from some of the social media. I think I, I think um, like in order to be a writer, you need good critical feedback. Yeah. On, on your stuff, I, I've but good critical that, feedback and the internet. Aren't yeah, the internet the is not the best place yeah. to find that good critical feedback. Yeah. You know, I, I do think uh, I, I really like my editor that I'm working with on Superman. Uh, Eddie Braganza. I, I like the uh, the other writers that are on the other books, and and I think uh, in a lot of ways I lean on them to mm-hmm. to figure out 
uh, where to take this iconic character. I, I, I just think I just think I, I feel I feel really happy that I'm on this team that I yeah. can learn so much from this team. Are you? I, I've got to imagine you're you're a full time comics writer at this point, right? Is this, I am, okay. but it's a relatively new thing. I because last time I talked June. to you, and you know, we were talking. Uh, I think it might have been from from my old website, so this would have been a few years back. Um, and this is the free. I think you were still living in Fremont. I think you were working in like a computer lab or something. I was. I I, was, I taught high school computer science yeah. for seventeen years. Yeah. At, a, at a Catholic high school in Oakland. In the beginning, I was a full time teacher, and then as the book stuff picked up, I uh, I went part time. And and in my last year there, I only taught one class. Uh, but even then, because I have to travel so much for the book stuff. It ended up being kind of crazy. I really like teaching. You know, that's something I actually want to go back to once yeah. the once the book stuff settles down a little bit. S- settles down is an, is is an interesting term for it. I mean, you you don't um, settles down from the standpoint of of, of um, well, what do you mean by settles down? I guess it, like it, like uh, like what, if if I could ever get to a point in my career. Yeah. Where I don't have to travel as much okay. as I do now. Okay. Like I, I really like doing these book events, yeah. right? But um, but at the same time, if you're in the classroom, you can't be, you just can't be traveling as much. Yeah. You, your your students end up losing time. Uh, so if I could ever regain that balance, but but I, you, I would like to do that. You know, and and part of the reason why I brought this up is because you know we we've, we've been talking about Superman thus far, but you know we're here for another book uh that, that you that you did for first second so i mean it sounds like you have a you're, you're full-time writing comics i mean you 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 can see a point when you go back to you know working from six to three or however whatever school hours are and then and then writing continuing to write comics at night yeah well you know you know um i had a balance for a while so the school that i taught at was um on a block schedule, which meant that because I was part time there, I would only have to go on campus every other mm. day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I have friends who teach in other venues, like uh, like I have a friend named Gary Schmidt, who is a professor at Calvin College, and he's also a YA and middle grade author. Wrote a bunch of books that he, he's he's like a recipient of the Newbery Medal oh, or yeah. Newbery uh, Honor, you know. Yeah. So he's a big deal, but he's able to balance teaching and 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 writing. And and I think there's something about being in a community, like especially mm. a learning community, that can really inform your writing. Hmm. So I don't know if it's actually going to be me on in a yeah. physical classroom teaching. Yeah, you know. But I do like I like being involved in education. It could be online. I don't I don't know what the solution is going to be. But I, I think um, I think once I get into a different rhythm with with my books, I'd like to go back to teaching. Did 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 teaching come about initially because you know it was clear that you probably weren't at least initially going to be able to make a living i was never planning on making a living in comics i just like i started in the 90s i don't know if you remember what it was like but we would go to these comic book conventions there'd be nobody there you know like you could go and buy a a ticket the day of at comic-con and you could get in yeah and on sundays at comic-con uh in the in the mid to late 90s uh there were more exhibitors on the floor on sunday than there were attendees yeah so it was like kind of abysmal you know and and we would we would go to these panels we'd listen to to publishers and, and writers and, and artists talk about how we were about to see the death of the American comic. <laughs> so people were, were saying that, I mean, no offense to poetry, <laughs> but, but people were saying that, that comics were going to go the way of the poetry, sure. meaning not, not like... You know all those poetry conventions that people go to? Well, and- <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's more about how poetry used to be a mass medium. Sure. It used to be read by sure. a, a wide swath of yeah. the, the population. But nowadays, it really is a, a, a small, very vibrant 
subculture that but nobody's that dressing leads. up like Walt Whitman. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's 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 not it's yeah. no longer seen as something meant for the general population. Yeah. It's 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 seen as some like a subculture, right? And and people people were predicting that for for comics that comics yeah. were going to implode. Marvel was had just declared bankruptcy. People were people That's were so predicting that it would it would go down. You know? Yeah, I guess because uh, maybe image the, just hit and all the yeah, talent image, went to image, image hit and, and then there was a speculator boom and then yeah. it crashed hard. Yeah, okay. And when it crashed hard, um, uh, Marvel crashed with it, right? So yeah. so Marvel, um, people were expecting Marvel to actually close its stores mm. and they thought when Marvel closed its stores, uh, a good chunk of the direct market, like comic book stores all over America would close. Yeah. And, and that's what, that was what the prediction was. So I, as a comic book fan, as an aspiring comic book creator, I would go and listen to this and yeah. I'd be like, I will just never make a full-time living at this. I'll never even make money at it. Yeah. I'm just going to do it because I love it. Yeah. You know? uh, and at the same time, in college, I developed an interest in teaching. Uh, that was not something I ever wanted to do when I was little, but mm. in college I developed an interest in teaching. And then when I started teaching high school, I found that it was like, they've done these studies, uh, where they measure happiness by profession and teachers are almost always near the top of that list. And yeah. I know why, like I, like now that I've been yeah. a teacher, I know why it's not about money for sure. Yeah, Obviously it's not about money. Obviously it's yeah. not about money. Yeah. And, and I think, I think if you can achieve a balance between, um, between teaching and writing, I yeah. think I think they can feed into each other in a really nice way. Was was programming was coding was that ever a possible path for you? Well, I did program professionally for a couple of okay. years. I worked as a I, I do love coding as yeah. well. You know, uh, I majored in, in college. I, I worked as a professional coder for two years right out of college, uh, and um, and and I think for me, um, coding has always been a mean to something else. That's why mm. I love it. So I, the, the very first language that I ever learned was called Logo. It was a computer language that was designed for kids, very popular in the 80s and 90s, in the 70s and 80s, actually. And the, the, the most awesome part of Logo was there's this little turtle that's on the screen. And uh, you so basically I'm, give this little... back to me now. You've, yeah, you've played with this, right? This, yeah. So you give this little turtle commands yeah. and it goes around and draws, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, like, when I first learned Logo, I, I was in fifth grade. When I first learned Logo, I realized that by learning coding, I could become a, a different kind of artist. I could become yeah, a better artist, that's right? interesting, yeah. And, and I think that's true of, an, uh, of, of a lot of professions. If you learn how to code, you will get a little bit better at your job. You know, well, there's yeah. I mean, this was uh, you know, I, I had when I was at Engadget. I mean, this was a conversation I, would, I had with a lot of people, and you know, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I grew up in a time where where you know, certainly, I mean, there were computer labs, and you know, maybe at some point there was a computer course, but uh, maybe it was because I went to Washington High School and and our typing class was on typewriters, but <laughs> but. Um, you know, it's it it certainly wasn't as as prevalent as as it is now. And you know, now I was going. You know, I went uh, when we were doing we were doing a, a video segment. I went to school in like Milpitas of all places, and they've all got like they're they've all got Chromebooks there now. And it's a very integral part of the um, early education curriculum. And 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 what they had said, and this didn't really dawn on me until I was having those conversations, was that um, it's not even about. I mean, obviously, like, there's a lot of good jobs, and obviously, you know, there's good money if that's the path you choose, uh, but there are, 
very basic tenets of critical thinking that you yes, learn when you're coding. Absolutely. I, I think coding, especially uh, when you're teaching coding to students, yeah. is less about the code they produce and more about training their brains to think in a certain way. Coding trains you to think mm. logically. Coding trains you to think in a sequential manner. Coding t- trains you to take complex ideas and break them up into smaller pieces. All of those skills are applicable to all sorts of different professions. As, as somebody who's you know not only written all, all these comics, but I, maybe Superman's a good example of something where you're dealing with um, characters with really long histories. Yeah. Where you're dealing with um, five or six Superman books all happening kind of at the same yeah. same time, um, you know, and then these these various story arcs. I mean, I've got to imagine that um, that's helped you, that that's made you a little bit more pr- pragmatic, that that's made it. You know, I, I I think I would look at something like that and just maybe be overwhelmed with working all the all uh, working with all these different moving parts at the same time. But um, you know, maybe has it helped you? figure out how to break things down into pieces and how to tackle all of these different problems one step at a time? There's a lot of overlap, in my mind at least, between uh, creating comics and and creating code. You Mm -hmm. know, in in code, you take complex, vague ideas, you have to make them concrete, and then you have to break them up into pieces. You have to break them up into modules, and those modules have to be broken up into individual lines of code. It's the same thing with making comics, right? Yeah. You come up with this vague story idea. You have to break that idea up into chapters. Each chapter has to be broken up into panels. Yeah. Um, what, what about visually? Well, you know, when you're when you're actually drawing the work, does it um, does that help you with the blank page at all? Um, I think uh, I think with with the with the drawing, you know, um, I work through a, a, a pretty sequential process mm. when I when I draw. So I start with thumbnails and then I move from thumbnails to pencils and then pencils to inks and then it's colored and lettered yeah. on the computer. Right. And and when I created code it was kind of the same thing, right? So you sit down and you do some kind of it's called pseudocode where you you kind of write out it's almost like an outline for your for mm-hmm. your for yeah. your project. And then you you go from that and you do you go through the sequential steps, these sequential steps in order to create your code. So you'll you'll do an initial pass, you'll have to do debugging and eventually arrive at where you want to arrive. Are, are, are you are you just are you typing the strips out to to begin with? I mean, I, I've got to imagine you are with with Superman, but yeah, for licensed stuff, yeah. um, what I turn in looks kind of like a movie script, uh, except broken up into panels. Yeah, um, no, I, I don't do thumbnails for that at all. You know, uh, the artists definitely don't need it. They're they're amazing. For my and they, own stuff, and, they, and maybe they don't they don't really appreciate you. <laughs> they, they like to have, I guess, a little bit of you know freedom and, and be able yeah, to absolutely. do a little bit of storytelling. And, 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 uh, visually. and I, I've just been lucky with Superman. I've worked with. Um, uh, John Romita Jr., who's, yeah, who's got some uh, obviously a legend, his belt, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then Howard Porter, uh, both of whom are, I mean, they're they're not just illustrators; they're storytellers. So they have a deep sense of story that they bring to the projects. Um, for some of my other stuff, like when I'm when I'm uh, when I'm drawing myself, I definitely do thumbnails. I have to do thumbnail breakdowns. And for some of the stuff, even if I'm working with somebody who has a really intense story sense, mm-hmm. I will still do thumb, thumbnails because. I think um, I think my stories come out a little bit different if I force myself to do thumbnails. Uh, for Secret Coders, my yeah. most recent book from, from yeah. first second, yeah. I did thumbnails, and that's not because Mike is not a capable storyteller; he absolutely is. It's more because um, I'm dealing with computer science concepts, right? Mm. And I want them taught visually in a very specific way. Does um, Does he have any kind of a background? General? No, not really. Okay, not really. Interesting. He hasn't really coded, and and that's yeah. actually been an asset yeah. for me because I, I've been able to 
um, get some feedback from him on yeah. things that don't make sense. Or like he'll take something in the thumbnail and he'll draw it in a certain way, and I'll realize my thumbnails were unclear. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, they they didn't convey what I wanted to convey in a clear way. What um, were you looking at? Anything was there anything out there quite like what you were trying to do in in this book? Um, well, you know, one of the, the I think that's one of the things that's lacking in the American comic book world mm-hmm. right we we don't have a ton of educational material yeah. i think um uh some of jay hustler's stuff is really amazing mm-hmm. uh there's some stuff that jim otaviani's done uh but but in general there hasn't been a lot a meta, yeah, 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 but, of course yeah of course scott mcleod there's scott mcleod um but um but in general it's not a it's not yeah. a very fleshed out category as a as a teacher who's also a cartoonist that was something that i wanted to do you know you like i i, I visited um korea a few years ago because my wife is uh, a Korean American and we went to a local bookstore and they actually have multiple shelves of educational comics yeah so it's a thing you know like, yeah like there are like I'm sure Japan has yeah uh, probably sure. a, a lot of them a lot of them are probably translations <laughs> yeah. of Japanese comics yeah. but um, there is definitely certain kinds of information that is better communicated through comics that's interesting you yeah. know and, and, and I think here in America we just haven't exploited that yeah, well, you know, there is um, obviously when you're doing uh, a book like this, there, there needs to be a visual element. But um, traditionally, with a textbook, it would be um, largely te- textbook, text based, uh-huh. with um, sort of supplementary images. But may, you know, maybe this just affords the opportunity to kind of, I guess, blur the line between the two. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I to, to prepare for the book, I, I looked at some. Um, educational visual media. I mean, mm-hmm. mostly television shows. And uh, and what I noticed was that for a lot of them, the characters were almost like avatars for the audience or avatars mm-hmm. for the viewer. Yeah. So they were almost always personality-less. They almost always didn't really have much going on outside yeah. of what they were trying to learn, you know? And it seemed like everything came in... Like, everything was of secondary concern compared to the material that they were trying to teach. And what I wanted to do almost as an experiment was to see if I could combine the two. Like have characters that were a little bit more fleshed out, that mm. actually had flaws, that had you know uh, strong desires yeah. for, for yeah. their lives, uh, and combine that with educational material. Like the fear is that the narrative will get in the way of education and vice versa. But I wanted to see if I could do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I uh, <laughs> for some reason I you know I'm, rem- I'm remembering a lot of, a lot of language textbooks, and there always seemed to be this like some some attempt to do that, but it was always just kind of forced. And it yeah, really, it feels forced, right? Yeah. When you have when you have flat characters in there, it yeah. just feels forced. It feels like you're trying to dress something up. Yeah. And and that dressing up is apparent to the reader. Are you in in a way? I mean, are, is it sort of um, I don't know, this might not even be the right word, but I, I guess, you know, in the, the the best examples I can think of, of you know, really sort of great t- educational TV shows, um, Sesame Street or anything else where, um, I don't know if trick is the right word, but, you know, it, it's it, the, the idea is sort of, um, uh, is, you know, maybe like dressing up the taste of vegetables, you know, is that, yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. Uh, is, is to give, kids something that they actually enjoy the experience of and and not that the learning is secondary but that it's just it just kind of it comes with the experience of reading the book yes i i mean i i think that definitely is right sesame street is a great example of of uh of 
educational media that works yeah. because you actually have an emotional char- connection yeah. to those characters. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, like it's, it's almost magical yeah. the way, the way they teach. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely something that I'm hoping to do in, in, in the comic as well. Um, I think, um, I, I think what I, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to, to, to create that emotional connection between the reader and the material that I was trying to convey. I, I thought a lot about Transformers, to be honest. Hmm. You know how Transformers came about, right? So it was originally it was just a, a bunch of toys created yeah. by a couple of yeah. um, Japanese toy companies, yeah. and there was no narrative attached to them at all, right? It was just toys. Yeah. And then um, Hasbro, I think, got the license for, for these toys. They brought them over to America, and they hired Marvel Comics to produce a narrative that went mm-hmm. along with these toys. And it was Marvel that figured out you know, who the Decepticons were, who the Autobots were, what each of these characters' personalities were like, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And because there was a narrative, um, the, the kids who bought the toys had a, an emotional connection to that toy. So I'm hoping to do that same thing with computer concepts. You know, So these concepts are just concepts, but I'm hoping by kind of attaching a narrative to them I'll connect emotion to those concepts for the reader um, it, it, I guess it, seem, it sort of seems like and, and, and you know you were talking about logos this is a good example of that but it, it seems like the most logical way to um, teach somebody how to code is, is on a computer screen right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, is, this, is this you know kind of uh, in a way are you kind of rem- one step removed from that I am one step removed from that I'm, I'm hoping like I don't want secret coders to it can't it's not going to replace a, yeah. a classroom right it's not going to replace a computer science teacher but what I do hope is it'll build that emotional connection so a kid who may not have considered coding um, uh, as an option for, yeah. for themselves will actually consider it because they have an emotional connection through the book and also kids who are already connected will feel affirmed mm-hmm. you know that's, that's really what I want it, 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 it seems like doing some sort of um, game or, uh, is, I mean, you know, that, that, that kind of that narrative storytelling that we're seeing in some of these, these video games seems like a, a kind of a next clear logical step for you, right? I mean, that's a combination of yeah. so many different aspects of, of what you do. Is that something that you've seriously considered? I've, we, I've thought about it. I've, yeah. talked to, I've talked to some, some app makers and that sort of thing. But, but I think for comics, you know, um, one of the things I wanted to do with, uh, with Secret Coders was um, I think by using comics to educate, by using comics to convey certain kinds of information, what you're doing is you're actually putting a lot of control in the reader's hands. So, for instance, if you have a film that yeah. deals with these topics. Um, when a viewer views that film, they have to view it at the speed at which the film was created. Mm-hmm. But when a reader reads a comic, yeah. the reader gets to read it as quickly or, or slowly as they want. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and I think there's real educational power to that. Um, with, uh, with video games, I think there's an interactive element where, where some things can get slowed down. But I really think... I, I just think there's, there's something about the staticness of a comic that lends itself to education, you know? Yeah, or, or, or the idea of, you know, of, of when you are sitting in front of your, your screen that you can pick it up and, and flip through it and, and you know, revisit, revisit yes. the lesson. Yeah. And yeah. Get, kind of get back yeah, to Yeah, I mean, there, we, we do actually put in pieces of code 
throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping some, some readers at least will actually take that code and type it into their computers to see what it'll do. That's, what, that's really what I want. I, I love that. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, it's like, a, it's sort of, um, to me, the, the, the books, you know, when I was, um, I think it's, I think it took a little, I think it took like a, a bit of a push to really get me into reading, it, you know, probably does with, with, uh, with a lot of kids. Comics were a big part of that. I mean, you know, one of the great things that my, my mom did was, you know, she was kind of agnostic about reading as long as I was reading. And the things that really um, engaged me were, um, you know, I'm thinking of like Encyclopedia Brown or I'm thinking of um, th these books that had some sort of interactive element to it. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of like of you're almost getting the secret code. You're getting this like mm -hmm. this this thing that only you know about and that, you know, maybe there's some real world implications there that you can take this thing off of this page and enter it into a computer and see uh -huh. see what happens. Yeah. Um was there are are there any um multimedia elements to to is there a site or Yeah, or, there's a website secret-coders.com. Yeah. Uh, on secret-coders.com, I have uh, like logos. You're really good old. at saying that, by the way. You, oh, you've, you've I've said it a lot. I've said it a lot because uh, secretcoders.com is taken yeah, by yeah, some yeah. other some other company, so I couldn't get it. So I got secret-coders, but um, but uh, I I really like even the logos. This old old language, yeah. you know. Oh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but because of my attachment to logo, I decided to use that as the language for secret coders. Is is there um what's uh is logo just an educational language? Does it have any actual applications beyond that? It's it's actually a pretty intense language. So yeah. um uh one of my college professors, I, I went to UC Berkeley and and that's where I majored in computer science. One yeah. of my college professors, huge fan of logo. He actually wrote this three big textbooks about huh. how you can cover all the major fun, like computer fundamentals using logo. And he also makes an argument that you can find online of how logo is actually a very efficient language. Yeah. That's something that would take you multiple lines in Java. You could do very it's elegantly simple. with just a few lines yeah. in, in logo. You know? which, which is, I, I assume, part of why um, it, it makes a good educational language is yeah, because it's yeah. so simple. Well, well, the the logo language, I think one of the reasons it became popular in in uh, in schools is that it's visual. It's because of that turtle. But the turtle was actually a late edition. The yeah. very first uh, yeah. few versions of logo didn't have that turtle. Uh, the, the, the creators of, of logo really uh, started off wanting to give kids a way of playing with language as opposed to playing with graphics. Mm. And it was only later that one of them had an insight to, to include the graphics element, which made the language take off. But, but because I have this deep you know, emotional <laughs> attachment to Logo, I wanted to use it yeah. in, this, in this book, even though it's an old and, and, and kind of forgotten language. Yeah. You know? And I thought, narratively speaking, it would work because um, coding in the book functions a bit like magic in in a fantasy book you know so our book the, the way the way i talk about it is i say it's kind of like harry potter so yeah it's about a group of kids who find the secret school but the secret school instead of teaching magic teaches coding and in magic usually the words that you say in magic sound like they're from some old forgotten language uh -huh. so i thought it'd be appropriate for me to use an old forgotten computer language yeah. in, in my book you know uh even though logo's old you can still download uh, an, a logo interpreter for a modern computer so on secret-coders.com i have instructions on how you can download an interpreter hmm. how you can install it and then how you can actually type you know some code from the yeah. book into the computer and i'm also running an art contest so if kids create logo art um they can email it to me 
and uh, once a month I'll pick the best one and I'll send them a prize. So, so is so so learning logo. It's it's more like learning Latin than Sanskrit. You know, it's it's. I mean, are, are the um, the fundamentals are translatable to current languages? Yeah, it might be a little bit like learning Latin. Yeah, it might be a little bit like learning Latin because the the underlying principles behind Latin are still used in modern yeah. languages, right? Yeah. And logo is the same way, even though it's kind of an old um, language. Uh, the fundamentals are all there. They're all the same. And that's the, that's the really cool thing about programming is that you can just learn one computer language. It almost doesn't matter what language is your first yeah. one. And once you learn that one, you can pick up pretty much any other one pretty easily. With, with, you know, be, be beyond, beyond, again, beyond the sort of the, the, the fundamentals that, that, that it taught you, um, <laughs> we're like right in the right spot yeah. here, all the sirens. Um, <laughs> I got like to comment happening. on like, like how amazing this conference room is. Isn't that it's, it? it's at an angle because it's the nose of the flat iron. Door, yeah, which is yeah. kind of incredible. Um, it just feels historic, right? Doesn't it? It is. Like we're sitting somewhere historic. Well, do, 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 you know the, do you know the 23 Skidoo thing? As a total side, people have told me that. Okay, yeah, you know about that. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of awesome. Because this, when this building went up, it was you know it was like ten stories higher than yeah, everything yeah. around it. Um, but uh, but as you know, uh, beyond the fact that you've got it sort of in your back pocket, has uh, and and you were doing some teaching. I mean, is is coding still something that plays an active role in your life? Uh, well, I mean, since I'm writing, we working book, a book on. Yeah, sure, absolutely, well, of course, it is. Because yeah. I have to actually yeah. create the create the program yeah. I mean, they're really simple programs I have yeah. to create them to, to put in the book yeah. um, it, it does I actually like I don't I don't know how okay so I, I don't know how much I can talk about all the things that I'm involved in okay. but it definitely does okay. like, I, I personally don't code as much anymore you know uh, but I do I do handle like I, I hired somebody to create the website for me but I do handle a lot, yeah. of, a, a lot of the stuff with the website and then um, it's a little bit like making thumbnails for people. Right? It is. Yeah. It actually yeah. that's a great way of thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think proof of concept. I think it's it's it, it is a lot like that. Actually, yeah. that's a, that's a great way of talking about it because like when because because I've also drawn my own stuff. When I work with another artist, um, I'm able to explain it in a certain way yeah. that makes sense to an artist. And I think yeah. it's the same with coding too because I've I've coded before. When I'm working with a coder, I'm able to explain it in a certain way. Yeah. There you have it. That was Gene Yang. Uh, shockingly, I think that was actually my first uh, face-to-face conversation, or at least first face-to-face interview with uh, Gene. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to uh, to Gina at First Second for setting that up. Really, really fantastic conversation in the First Second offices at the uh, the Flatiron Building in Manhattan in their new uh, fancy new digs, or at least their fancy new conference room, which um, I uh, is it's. I, I mean, if you know what the flat art looks like, it's got that that sort of that angle to it. So it's just a it, it was in in right in the middle of that angle. Very very cool uh, view of New York City, and a really uh, really terrific conversation with a really uh, interesting, fascinating cartoonist. Um, somebody who have been following for a while now. Somebody who actually uh, lives in uh, lives in my hometown these days. Was a teacher out in. Uh, in in uh, Oakland, California, and was living in Fremont, so got that going on. He's also a really terrific cartoonist. Uh, big breakthrough book was American Board in Chinese in uh, 2006 for first second. Uh, now he's doing 
all sorts of things. Been working on the ongoing Superman series. Uh, just had Secret Coders come out, which we talked about, which is a really um, kind of interesting entry book to, to kids, uh, uh, in, for kids into the, the world of coding. Uh, very, very important. Thanks so much, Tim, for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to, to First Second. Thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Thanks to everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like this show, many other fine shows for you to check out over at boingboing.net. You can also go to uh, to iTunes to check them out. You can go to iTunes to rate the show. Please, if you haven't done it yet, if you've been listening to the show, or if you're just listening for the first time and enjoy this episode, please rate us over there. It's very important that uh, folks give their feedback up there. That's the link that we send everybody when we're trying to go out and, and get some more shows. Uh, if you have any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That one is rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L related information. Uh, like us on Facebook. I think that's about all I got. Lots and lots of good shows, however, coming up in the very near future. So stick around. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L. Thank you.